0: Yeah, good morning. Uh welcome to uh welcome to Veterans Voices with Joe and Steve O and thanks for joining us this morning. So uh Steve O tells me um and I saw I was reading your bio that you were uh you had some involvement in nine eleven. So I don't know as we're coming up on that, you know, very important date in US history, uh I'd love to hear that story. And I'm sure our listeners would too. Yeah,
1: so before we before we do that, uh, let's um, introduce our guests. It's um, uh, uh, Lieutenant General Robert Van Antwerp. Uh, uh, I met uh, General Van um, uh, just after nine eleven in in two thousand two. Uh, he was in Hawaii, and and I had the opportunity to spend a few minutes. And you were sharing uh, that experience that you had, and which really, you know, as we were approaching this anniversary. Um, it seems so long ago, but I'm guessing that for you, it seems like it was just yesterday. So would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself first, uh, sir, and then
2: maybe we can get into your story? Okay, well, it's great to be with you, Steve and Joe, and nice to be on here. And uh, yes, it's, it's an unforgettable time. I'll get to a little bit of nine eleven here in a few minutes, but uh, I did 39 years of service, made 22 moves, um, I, uh, those 39 years of service, I wouldn't change a thing. Uh, it didn't, I didn't always get what I was wanting to get, but I got what God wanted me to get. Let's put it that way. And so it was, uh, a wonderful career. I have, uh, um, a wonderful wife that has made every move with me, all 22. Actually, we started dating when we were 15. And, uh, dated seven years because I you can't be married and be at West Point, and I'm a West Point graduate, 1972. Um, so we, we got married after graduation there. We have five children, uh, uh, really an Army family. I've got uh, one of my sons as an assistant division commander in Hawaii in the 25th Division. Another one is here at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, near us, and he'll take the 10th group for the Special Forces uh, next summer. I have a son-in-law who's a a major in Cyber Command at Fort Belvoir, Virginia. Uh, So that's uh, how we are. And then I have another daughter and a son. That other son was in the Army for a period of time, and is out now. So uh, that's that's my fam, and uh, we just love it. I have 19 grandkids, too. I guess I should say that. One more in the hopper. But, yeah.
1: Well, sir, it might be you might be interested to know um, a little bit about Joe. So, Joe is also an engineer. Um, Joe, you want to tell him a little bit about your background?
0: Uh, so, I started my career as a Navy diver, and then uh, did mostly all engineering work throughout my career. I did twenty-two years, retired as a commander out here in Hawaii. Uh, it's very, very well, nice. Yeah. So it's been good. My wife's been with me for most of it. We we started we started dating when I was a uh, young lieutenant, and uh, she. You know then we got married and, and she's been with me since so it's been it's been great I mean military has been great for me and and I've really enjoyed it uh, I so while we're talking about your background what have you what have you been doing since you retired?
2: Yeah well I retired in uh, 2011 uh, We bought a little house on the lake here in North Carolina in 2010 and started coming down here on weekends so I went from uh, about 8200 square feet to 2200 square feet which is the way to do it um, get rid of all that stuff and uh, so we really live a real simple life here but um, I am on a number of corporate boards I'm on USAA's board uh, a, a company called Caliber which is an outstanding company does a lot of support for the military uh, another one Cardinal GS which has to do with environmental stuff um, a lot of engineering and all of that uh, me. And then I do executive development for uh, leader development for a company called the Flippin Group out of College Station, Texas. And I have a number of clients and get to talk to them about leadership and uh, talk about the things they're dealing with. Um, As you probably both know, it can get lonely at the top. And it's uh, good to maybe have a third party that can talk to you about things that are on your plate. And uh, so that's a real joy for me. I do it out of the love of the game. I just... uh, I love trying to help people with leadership if I can. Well, you know, and, uh,
1: oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Steve. That's well, it. I was just going to say that, um, that you know, that's kind of some of the things that Joe and I have been talking about, like that we wanted to do with Veterans Voices with Joe and Steve-O was we really, because we're both disabled vets, we wanted to be able to outreach to other veterans who may be experiencing things that we experience experienced or that you may have. So by having a forum that where we can share these experiences, it might encourage other people to Um, You motivate them to either take the right path as they're getting out of the military to the transition and then when they're um, outside you know how do they navigate the VA and those types of things so this fits right in line with probably a lot of the things that you're doing as well
2: yeah I love what you guys are doing this was an easy yes for me to say yeah I'll come on and talk to you guys Uh, as I say you're my people you know and uh just uh, love loved my time in the military, love being with people that have served. I guess that's the biggest thing. I love to tell people, you know, I just served for 39 years and had all different aspects of that, some in leadership positions. Um, just to kind of transition a little bit into 9-11, I was on the Army staff at the Pentagon. My office was on the E-ring of the Pentagon, if you've ever been in that big building. It's uh, one of the bigger office buildings in the probably the world. It's probably not the biggest anymore. Everybody tries to get one a little bit bigger. But if you're parking way out in North Park, and you can have a good mile from your parking spot to the, to the building. Uh, a lot of people walk around the building for exercise. It's that big. Uh, but I was in there on the Army staff. I was what they call the assistant chief of staff for installation management. Essentially, um, I was the overseer uh, on the Army staff for all the installations in the Army. And so uh, maybe like the ultimate mayorship uh, with all the things that go with that. And uh, had a great group of garrison commanders out in the field at all those installations. But um, that's where I was on the date 9-11. And uh, my office was, uh, if you follow the plane that came into the Pentagon, it flew over the Marine Corps barracks, if you've ever been to D.C., Now there's that wonderful structure that looks like uh, something that could actually catch an airplane, I guess, uh, but it's got a lot of history behind it. But it flew over the Marine Corps barracks and over the helipad, which was right outside the window of my office. And so the the fuselage of that aircraft went right in through my office, and my really good friend, Tim Maude. Um, who was a three-star general? He was the uh, uh, assistant chief of staff for personnel uh, for the whole army, and uh, he was in, unfortunately, in his office with a, a group of his people that morning at nine thirty-seven. I'll never forget the date, the time, or really any of the details because it's 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 fresh to me. And um, so, at that when that plane flew in there, it uh, totally took out his pretty much his entire staff and so uh, we have a memorial to him a memorial golf tournament um, and uh, never forget about Tim Maud and and his people most of which I knew by name and knew well um, in my office uh, the the left wing just beside the fuselage went through my office um, it was by the grace of God I was um, oh, Plug that in there. there we go. but I was um, uh, I had a meeting in Crystal City that morning It started at 8:30. and I had a lot of my people coming from all over the world really uh, to meet together. So I had most of my staff over there or I might have been in the same you know had a similar meeting that Tim Maud had and uh, but my secretary, was in there, Barbara, and we lost her that day. And my one of my um, really uh, executives, Sandy, was in there and we lost her that day. And then Brian Birdwell, who was one of the two execs, um, was on my staff. He went down into the bathroom on the C wing. If you can picture if you've ever been to the Pentagon, the E ring is the outer ring. The A ring is the inner ring and inside the A ring, there's a courtyard. And that courtyard became incredibly important to the story of, of the recovery and taking care of that's where the triage was done for everybody that was injured in the Pentagon. We took them there and then it was decided the medical people where to go from there. Um, I'll just tell you about Brian Birdwell just for a second, because he's a, uh, You know, an incredibly close friend of mine. Um, He was a lieutenant colonel at the time on our staff. And you know what execs do. They take care of you. And he did an incredible job for me and for my deputy. He was really my deputy's um, exec. And he was in the bathroom when the plane hit. A fireball went down the hallway. It goes all the way from the E ring to the A ring and just lighting everything on fire because it was a fuel fire, just incredibly hot. Just a side note, I went back in my office two weeks later and even safes that were supposed to be, you know, good up to X number of degrees were melted. There was nothing left, nothing left. And uh, as that plane, as that fireball went down, Brian was just coming out of the bathroom on the C wing, which he tells, with a lot of amusement, you know, that going to the bathroom might save your life. Um, but he did catch on fire the minute he stepped out of the there. And of course, we used to wear a lot of polyester back in those days. And uh, I'm very cautious about that, uh, of what he had. So he caught on fire. He was burned over about 60% of his body that day. So he was one of them that. Um, actually, he was face down in the hallway Um, they had just renovated our part of the building and they had put sprinkler systems in there and Kevlar on the windows. So uh, I hate to look at it this way, but it could have been worse, had some of those things. But Brian immediately hit the floor. He said there was a black acrid smoke and cloud down within about six inches of the floor when he was just in the edge of the hallway there. So he had even had to turn his head sideways to breathe, Um, but the sprinklers put him out. And then he didn't know which way to go, could he even crawl? And uh, uh, someone that I don't know, Brian now knows him, I don't know who it was, yelled from another part of the building, came out through one of the crossways and said, is there anybody in this hallway? And Brian, they were able to connect, he helped Brian get out of there. Brian was burned terribly and got him to the courtyard where um, they did triage really quick. They said he has to get to the burn unit like now. Um, So a number of people got him outside of the Pentagon onto the sidewalk. And another angel, I'll call them, uh, threw the seats out of his Escalade, drove about halfway to the burn unit at George Washington University. on the sidewalk and saved save Brian's life Um, but that started um, really a, Brian and I were already friends but that started a a deep friendship for life because pretty much every Saturday morning when I was in town I went and did physical therapy with him and that was for many 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 months Um, and uh, even have, uh, if you'll permit me I'll tell one story about President Bush when he and Laura came to visit Brian, uh, Brian was um, looked like a mummy because they were wrapping him every time he would get treated and they debriefed the fire, you know, what the fire had done and everything. Thank God he didn't breathe in any of the smoke. There were people that passed that had no burn externally, but they had burned their lungs. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Brian, um, you know was looked like a mummy, I guess would be the best way to describe with just his eyes showing, and President Bush came to visit and this isn't this is no political statement about either side. just want to tell you what your what this commander in chief did um Of course, the president always has kind of an entourage or whatever he had everybody stay out of the burn unit, and he and Laura went bed to bed bed to bed for what I would say was probably a couple of hours and as he got into Brian's room, I happened to be there because it was a Saturday morning. It was, uh, and Brian was undergoing physical therapy that day. Um, but the president came to the end of his bed, and um, both of you know that generally a uh, subordinate salutes a superior. Well, this day it was reversed. The president saluted Brian from the end of his bed, and Brian, as best he could, Got a salute up with all his bandages and everything. And then the president, uh, after they exchanged salutes, the president went over and uh, spoke, told Brian how proud he was, and said a prayer right there for Brian in his bed. And um, I've taken a leadership lesson from that is what you do when no one's looking really shows your character and your leadership. And this was one of those cases. Um, So that's a, a bit of that story say the other part of that story is I was a commander and and at that time I had about 500 people working for me in the Pentagon they weren't on the same side of the Pentagon that the plane came in and then had offices throughout uh, the country but uh we had about 500 people working in the Pentagon and so like like a leader any leader would do you want to know who who was affected by this did we lose anybody we very quickly made the rule, if you will, that you had to, you couldn't just say, I know Steve or Joe, they're, they're over in Europe visiting one of the Europe installations. We said you had to hear their voice and recognize their voice or see them. That was our watchword. We we're going to take none of what I think they're somewhere. Um, we, by the, it took three or four hours by the time we, located everybody we knew we were missing three the two girls and brian and then we quickly were able to track down brian and then um you know much to our just uh we're just so saddened that uh, our girls perished in it but um what is normally a vibrant office with a bunch of people in we just weren't in there that morning and so that was uh i guess i'll stop right there and if you have any other questions? There's more details, but um,
0: well, I I have a I have a question about. So when sure. you when you ended up back at the Pentagon, you came back to the Pentagon that day. You didn't necessarily have a place to go. What did you What did you do then? Like what what space did you go to, and what did you do to start taking like actions to find your people and get accountability and all of that kind of thing?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, that you know, we did come back to the Pentagon in a couple of hours. Of course, everything was roped off and all that but uh, I was able to get in went in the other side of the building where our other offices were talk to our people I think um well I, I guess another lesson in leadership is that when everyone else is losing their head you have to keep yours so um there were people affected I remember going to the A-ring where they were doing the triage and uh just a, part of it I, w- I was really looking for Barbara and, and Sandy um, to, to just see it anyone seen them or anything but it became pretty clear that they they perished in there and they were they were holding down the office so to speak you know there's always someone that's there answering the phones and taking care of people so um, but we we had a conversation with our people and then we uh, quickly started to look elsewhere who else could we help and so I was part of the litter bearers. That uh, carried people out to the sidewalk to get them to the hospital. That was part of mine. You know, at some point, when you figure I've done pretty much all I can do, let me just get in there and pitch. And so that that was what we did. And uh, a lot of our people they were part of the they were assisting people in it. Of course, at the same time, the firefighters were pumping gallons, and really a lot of the damage to the Pentagon. Some was the fire, but the other was the water. Uh, they came in because just thousands and thousands of gallons pumped in there to put it out. A fuel fire is like none other. It's uh, they burn hot. They're they are hard to extinguish, and um, so I guess the you know the first thing, as I said, was accountability. The next thing was to pitch in and try and help, and anyone that was injured to the point they needed to get to the hospital, we were helping on doing that. One of the real dilemmas that day, by the way, it was just kind sign of a sidelight, is you think, well, everyone wants to call their home, call their family, tell them I'm okay if you're okay. And uh, the cell towers were just overwhelmed, so you couldn't get through. My wife ac- actually heard, I was able to talk to a friend, one of my friends that was at the meeting with me, lived in Atlanta, had a cell phone that had an Atlanta number, and it went through Atlanta and then his wife called my wife and told her i was all right but uh, you know really it was not a time I, I wasn't worried about myself but i knew that there were others she would be so um so anyway that's uh what i did the rest of that day pretty much so so um so you mentioned um
1: you know when we we spoke for a minute um when we were setting all this up that you 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 re, you remain connected to to uh, a group of people you guys kind of you know i guess you probably speak every 9-11 and and maybe reminisce and catch up and see how everybody's doing if everybody needs anything so can you tell us a little bit about that
2: sure yeah i i keep track of the two families um of barbara and sandy but also brian birdwell who I, i didn't mention but he um he's recovered, he uh, has to watch being out in the sun, but he is a state senator for the great state of Texas. And so uh, we talk more frequently than just 9-11. Anytime something comes up, we, we talk about it. And he's the one guy in the world I talk politics with because he's a state senator, but uh, I don't talk much politics. But um, yes, we do. Uh, one other sidelight is you know what happens in the aftermath of something like this. There, the, the, the Army and well, all the services set up a, a place where uh, family members could come, they could get help, they could get assistance, um, they could talk to their loved ones and, and all of that. And there was a lot of tending to after that and um, some great people were put in charge of that. And so uh, a lot of my people volunteered there and assisted Uh, We took meals to families for literally months after that. Um, But yes, uh, absolutely, when 9-11 comes, I mean, it's a race to who will call whom first. Um, But uh, those have been, you know, I think it's like anything else. I I feel a little bit of West Point on a much smaller scale. But, you know, my class, when you go through what you go through there, or you could say Ranger School or Dive School, Joe, or whatever, you... There's something about going through hardship together that just bonds you together. And so um, I, that part of nine 11 I look forward to is reconnecting every year and uh, we'll do it. It's coming up. I got a calendar, a standing calendar, invite to myself, Uh, make those calls.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's very true. What you said, how, uh, you know, the times that are the most challenging in our life, whether it's a, a, challenging training that you're through or some life experience that you've you've gone through those are the things that bind people together um and really i feel bring like the most value to your life uh i wanted to ask a va question since uh we have a lot of veterans that listen
2: okay
0: good so how so as tragedies happen and then they are no longer fresh and then the next tragedy occurs so over the years for for Brian and for you and for the other people on your staff or people that you know in the Pentagon that were exposed. So there, there, I'm sure there were exposures, there were toxins, there was all kinds of crazy stuff that occurred that day at nine 11. And sometimes those things aren't seen for a, a long time. What, what kind of things has the, has the VA done and the, and the government have done to make sure they're taking care of everybody?
2: Yeah, I would say, uh, and I was involved, uh, a little bit on the periphery, but because Brian was in the in the system and later on he would do a lot with the VA. But uh just like you say, there's those um seen and unseen. One of the things that we're seeing today is PTSD. Well if you want an event in your life that's going to affect you like that, 9-11 would do it to you. And so that's one of the kind of unseen but those with visible, um, things like Brian had, uh, the VA has been awesome in what they tried to do. I know the VA gets, uh, you know, good and bad raps. But, uh, it, you know, to me, uh, they responded well. And, of course, the, there's a, a big VA system in the D.C., northern Virginia area that was very helpful. Right. Um, since then, I've been involved uh, just tell you one other thing I've been involved in, it's what they call Operation Heal Our Patriots. It is run by Samaritans Purse. It's a, they, they take ten couples uh, a week for 16 weeks every summer. This is about the ninth year they've done it. We've gone eight different years with them, and one of the things they do, they talk to people about the VA and they have experts that know the system there that can talk to these wounded warriors. Uh, and Wounded Warrior couples to try and help them through the system. Um, but the medical, medical, you know, some of these, uh, you know, what I've seen, some of these folks, they're going four, five, six appointments a week,
1: mm. a week. Right.
2: Uh, the other part of that that came out of that was that a lot of the spouses became caregivers. And, you know, when you have children and you're trying to care for your wounded spouse, that is tough. And it's, uh, it kind of changes the dynamic in a marriage relationship. So we try and do a lot of healing with that too. And that's why we're involved in that part of it. But um, overall, I mean, the VA is tough. I've known a number of the leaders of the VA, um, you know, and and it's tough work. Uh, General Shinseki, of course, was one of my chiefs of staff when I was on the Army staff. So, So,
1: so as we kind of wrap this, um, we've got a few minutes. Um, so, so I guess the, the one important question I have for you too would be how did that impact? I know you're a Christian. How did that event impact your, um, your faith and how you went forward? Cause you still had another 10 years of your career to go.
2: Right. Well, that's a great question, Steve. You know, um, I think one of the things you deal with, you know, why was I in Crystal City that morning? I mean, it was planned way ahead of time, but went over there about 830, you know, 937. This hits, my office is destroyed. Uh, You have to be a little introspective and and say, why me? Why am I still here uh, in that? I'll tell you where God brought me through that is that I'm not finished with you yet. And I like to think that's why I'm determined, I'm 70 years old right now, um, I will always work and try and help and be of service, uh, whether I'm um, on the elder board at my church, very involved there, Samaritan's Purse that we talked about there. Um, I think what it did, it even increased, increased my fervency to be in there and help people that are in need. Um, so that's that's kind of what happened. I do I do. I uh, became a Christian in 1977, and I have a, a, a very strong faith, and that's the centerpiece for our family. Um, and you can imagine, you know, I've got uh, my my two older boys. I told you what they're doing now, or, or one of them will do soon. But they were both in Delta Force, and they both had numerous deployments. And uh, you just pray a lot. You have faith that this is part of God's plan in that, but. Uh, I just love the notion that I'm not finished with you yet. So get in there and and serve and and I'll guide you and that's that's how my life has been and it's it's been rewarding and it's been uh, uh again like I said kind of at the beginning I, I wouldn't change a thing. And that's that's something um you know I, I guess I the part I would change is I, I'd like to have those that were lost back but um you know you know that that made me stronger, it gave me more faith, and I had so many opportunities to help strengthen other people because of that.
0: I, um, I, like, uh, I like to use this to try to bring like different organizations together. Uh, and one of the things I am particularly interested in is helping veterans, you know, who can't speak for themselves find a uh, voice with the VA, um, do you have any advice on that or anything you've seen along the way that works well?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, it's, uh, it, it's hard when you're struggling yourself to, to have a voice, but here's what I know the VA is trying to do today is that uh, the last time I was there, they really wanted to know how they serve you, what they could do to serve you better. I think that's the opportunity, um, and for the for the veteran that is going there, sometimes two or three times a week, I said, you know, they understand if you speak your mind. They don't. They don't always know what you're thinking. So I would say, speak your mind. Be be gentle and gracious about it, but. The VA wants to improve and they're there to try and serve you. It's, it's a hard, it's a hard thing. Cause I think a lot of times the veteran, they don't, you don't really know what's wrong with you. You just know you're not right. I don't know if that helps at all, but that's, uh, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm big on giving feedback and I, and I think there's two parts to feedback. One's affirmation. And I think we ought to give affirmation, but one of the, In my life, I'll just use this, Um, and in a way, 9-11 was a feedback mechanism. I I learned a lot about leadership during crisis because of that, and so, you know, you get, when you go back, and you probably both did this, you do after-action reviews. When you're done, what could I have done better? That's a way of getting your own feedback, but I also like to collect feedback from the people that work for me. and so the more that's uh i think i call that the breakfast of champions well i
0: absolutely
1: yeah i think um i think that's a good way to kind of to kind of um close um the the um one of the most important things about what we are trying to do here and having someone like yourself share your experiences first and foremost um i don't you know 9 11 was an important event in our history and it's one that um, that we should never allow to be pushed to the to the wayside. And and there's sometimes there's efforts to do that because life is just moving forward. Um, but as veterans, you know, the ex, those experiences have to be um, honored at all the time. They have to be reminded. And and you know when Joe and I talk about the experiences that we have in dealing with our own issues as veterans, the one thing that always comes back is you know how do we how do we not lose those people who don't aren't able to be as uh self advocates like we are to be strong and and just kind of self centered in that way um you know and that's kind of where we lose people so having these opportunities to speak to people like you is a is a great way for us to i kind I guess to to give some service back so um so general van we really um are honored to have you share your story we appreciate it and We'll be um, sharing this on 9/11, so that hopefully it'll inspire other people to um, to give some homage to the people that that you lost, but to to all the other people who 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 fought for that. And maybe sometime we can speak again. Joe can tell you about his experiences with um, the post 9/11 in New York and how you know that whole experience was. I'm sure you'd be up for that, Joe.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a story that if we if we don't want to get into, I I ended up. Brief, briefly, I ended up in Fleet Week uh, two years after 9/11 uh, in New York City, and it was it was quite the gracious reception. I will I will state by the city of New York. Um, so, I mean, it's appreciated. And 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 going back to, to what uh, we said, I, I think that if you're a veteran, and you're out there and you're struggling with some stuff, you know, just show up at the VA or talk to another vet and and see what you can do to start moving uh, forward because um, you may know something isn't right, but you're just not sure what it is. And that's the thing that you might want to work on uh, for you and your family and, and, you know, everyone out there. So, yeah.
2: Right. Well, I want to thank both of you for what you're doing. I mean, I'm strongly supporting you guys and uh, thank you for doing this. It's a we shouldn't forget, I, I don't know that the memorial outside the Pentagon is open right now because of what's going on with COVID-19, but um, anyone that ever goes to D.C. or Northern Virginia there where the Pentagon is, that is worth going through and just meditating and do there. And uh, anytime I'm in D.C., I try and get there and go visit the memorials to to my folks and other folks that I knew.
1: Well, well, I think on, on that note, um, we'll, we'll um, bid you adieu. And um, we really appreciate your time, General. And again, I hope we can reach out to you again, and maybe we can talk about some of some other things in your career um, that people might want to learn about.
2: Sure, it'll be my pleasure. Thank you both. Thanks okay. for what you do. God bless. Aloha. You. God bless. Thank okay. You. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.